looked over and our four-year-old was leaning over and licking every single cookie. Every cookie, every cookie. So we did not have lots of Christmas, I mean, he did. He had a lot of Christmas cookies, but we did not have the piles of them this year that we normally do. Um, it's a good thing he's so cute. And then you might have seen that he fell and, and hurt his lip. He bit through his lip, and so he couldn't even eat that many of them. He couldn't, because so, but you know, that's okay. So Christmas is my favorite time of year. I drive my husband crazy because every year it gets earlier and earlier that I want to set up the Christmas stuff. And um, every year someone makes a comment to me. I'm like, oh, you just keep getting early. I'm like, well, here's the thing. For the last 10 years, we've set up our Christmas tree. This is straight up confession in October, October. And I know some of you are like, no, no way. But here's, here's the thing. We've been in full-time ministry for 14 years. And as you get closer and closer to the holidays, things get a little more chaotic. And so um, we have found about 10 years ago doing kids ministry around Halloween, we were preparing for trunk or treat. And trunk or treat is a lot of work. So we're getting ready for it. And I made the comment, I just wish we had the Christmas tree up because I feel like it would make me feel so much happier. It just makes me feel like warm and fuzzy and everything just seems cozier. So I have pictures of us um, putting up the Christmas tree that year. So my husband's setting up our tree, fake tree, because, you know, you can't have a real tree when you put it up in mid-October. And um, all, of our, all of our trunk or treat decorations are scattered around the room with it. So there's like a Ninja Turtles costume being painted here, right next to the tree that's going up. So he's a good sport. And, um, you know, it's, it's just become something that we do. We put it up we put it up early every year. And most of you know we relocated here from South Carolina in mid-October, and we were staying with friends. So we brought the necessities, our clothes, our toiletries, and the Christmas decor. And the first night we were here, it was October 14th, and my husband is, like, assembling a bed for us to sleep in. It's 9 p.m. We, we just, you know, pulled stuff off the moving truck. He's getting stuff prepped so we can go to sleep, and I set up a Christmas tree. Because priorities, right? Which means when it comes down, I always feel really sad. I always feel really sad. But usually I'm okay with it because if you have your tree up for that long, it's usually okay. Once you hit this time, I'm like, okay, it can come down. It's okay. And then it's back to reality, right? It's back to reality. Many, many people experience those post-holiday blues, and it's for a number of reasons. Maybe it's because your kid didn't lick all your Christmas cookies, and you ate all of them, and now even your stretchiest of stretchy pants don't fit anymore. Uh, maybe it's because you had to pack up all of your fabulous, ugly Christmas sweaters. There's so many good ones now to choose from. Maybe it's because you didn't get to see the family that you wanted to see this Christmas, or you lost someone and Christmas makes you uh, remember them, or maybe you had to say goodbye, you got to see people that you loved, and now you've gone your separate directions. I know that that was always hard for us living across the country from family. This year is the first year my mom didn't cry when we said goodbye after Christmas because we live in the same state again, so it's exciting for her. And we go back to work, and the kids go back to school, which for some of us, the kids are, might be sad, but I'm like, yes, kids are going back to school soon. And then the credit, the credit card bill comes. Uh, I think financial peace is probably starting soon. Is it starting soon? Yeah, financial peace is starting soon. 
and we just feel overwhelmed by what's coming next because we move from this like overindulgent time to like it's time to set your goals and get your taxes ready. I mean, it's really disappointing. And worst of all, there's no Hallmark Christmas movies until next year. It's really sad. So the end of the holidays can cause sadness in a lot of people. In fact, up to 25% experience some sort of post-holiday depression. And if you weren't in that 25% before, you might be after I just reminded you of all the reasons you have to be sad. But I actually want to talk to you about joy this morning. So as you pack up all of your Christmas things, don't pack up your Christmas joy. That can last all year long. We pack up the nativity and you take the wreath off the door. Some of you might have a wreath on every door. And the tendency can be to pack the Christmas joy right up with it. December 24th, we sing Silent Night, and we light our candles, and we feel so warm and cozy and fuzzy. And then the 26th, we take that tree out to the curb, unless you're me and you pack it up in your attic to take out next October. The question is, why does our Christmas joy not last? Because in spite of all the reasons that we might have to be sad after the holidays, our main source of joy during the holidays is still with us when the holidays are over. You can be joyful always. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. During Christmas time, after Christmas time, in times when the weather is cold and it gets dark at 4 p.m., when, you're, when you have to ice skate to go get your groceries, you know, in times when we're tired, when you have to go back to work after all of your days off, when you're suffering, or maybe you're like us and just had one of those, those times where everything that could go wrong went wrong, where the basement, we're staying with friends in their basement, the basement flooded, everything that we have with us got soaked, some of it got wrecked, and my kid, like I told you, bit through his lip and needed stitches, and then my other darling child left the door to the car open all night long one night, and um, we're just not used to the cold, you know? So the inside of the car was filled with snow and frost, and... Um, I love him so much. So we can have joy at all times. Even when you have a week like that, you can still have joy. But sometimes our situations just make us feel surrounded. And I was thinking about this because we're in a season where we do feel a little surrounded by our situation. We're not in our own home. We don't have all of our things with us. We just relocated our family across the country. My kids are, they're getting there, they're getting settled, but my youngest tells me very frequently that he just wants to go home. He just wants to go home. He's feeling it. He's feeling a little overwhelmed, feeling surrounded by our circumstances. And I was reminded of one of the most amazing Bible stories I know, which is in Second Chronicles 20, where we find an example of how God uses joy and praise to turn even the worst of circumstances into something incredible. So in 2 Chronicles 20, verses 1 through 2, these hostile armies are gathering against Judah. And King Jehoshaphat was, was ruling at that time, and um, he had experienced battle previously. And in the last battle that he was in, Jehoshaphat had a, a near-death experience. So as these enemy armies are coming towards them, I imagine how panicked he felt. It would have been so easy for him to let that fear take over and just to feel so overwhelmed by his situation. People were coming up against him and saying, hey, the Moabites and the Ammonites, they're coming. They're coming across the sea. We got to get ready for battle. And King Jehoshaphat could have straight up panicked, but instead, even though 
He was afraid. He set his eyes on God. He sought God first. The Bible tells us that he knew that he wasn't alone in his fight. So he set the example first, knowing that he couldn't ask the rest of the people to do what he could not do as their leader. So then he gathered all the people of Judah together from every city to ask God for help. Jehoshaphat called on the nation to express her humility and total dependence on God through a fast, which is what we are all about to start our year with. Prayer and fasting, they don't make us more worthy to be blessed by God. They don't. They just draw us closer to the heart of God, and they put us in line with his power. The people of Judah responded. They came together to pray and put their eyes on God. They knew that they were surrounded by more than they could handle. Those armies coming against them, they had to have been afraid. But they knew that they needed to put God at the center. Pastor Dave mentioned this in his Christmas Eve message. My favorite verses in the Bible I'll talk about. Not being afraid and not being discouraged. It talks about it so much throughout the Bible. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. You're not alone. God is with you. God goes before us and beside us. And he's promised us that he's always with us. Charles Spurgeon said, I like this, because I think about all these promises, and it's so easy to look at them and think they're not for us. But Charles Spurgeon said, I like to plunge my hand into the promises, and then I find myself able to grasp with a grip of determination the mighty faithfulness of God. An omnipotent plea with God is, do as thou hast said. So King Jehoshaphat prayed, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And that, my friends, is faith, keeping your eyes on God, even during those uncertain times when you feel surrounded. I was thinking back on all the times, all the examples I've had of people who have led like this. And I was thinking about um, a dear friend that I had who led, she led a small group of girls for me at our last church. And I didn't know her story for, for a while until there was a night when I was telling, I was telling all of our leaders the importance of speaking life speaking joy, speaking purpose over everyone that you meet because it's so easy to see the negative. It's so easy to tear down and cut down the importance of speaking life. And she came up to me afterwards and she said, she said, I, I know that you don't know my situation, but I wanted to give you this Bible because maybe another student needs it that's here, working in student ministry. And she gave me a Bible and it was a little ratty. It was very used. It had lots of notes in it. And she said, I just, um, there's a lot of life written into these pages. And I just really felt like it fit. This was a good time for me to give it to somebody else and speak life into somebody else. And she told me that it belonged to her daughter, who had recently passed away in a motorcycle accident. And I, she had been serving alongside me for, for a couple of months, and I didn't know her story. That woman served faithfully my entire time at our last church, she was surrounded by such a difficult situation, the loss of her daughter. Her husband was struggling with alcoholism. And she still came to church each week, and she still spoke life into other people. Because even though her circumstances were not great, she knew that she needed to keep her eyes on Jesus, no matter what she was going through. And she ministered to me so much. I learned so much from watching her in that, in that season of her life. And just feeling encouraged and knowing no matter what we're going through, we've got to keep our eyes on him. We've got to keep our eyes on him. God says that we're never alone. 
in every circumstance, we can have joy. Because joy isn't happiness. It's not dependent on anything other than Jesus. And he is faithful so we can have faith. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 13, it says that all of Judah, including their children, the men, the women, the children, they all stood before the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon a prophet who told the people, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. And that was such an important command because we can know that the battle belongs to God. We can know that no matter what our circumstances are, that the battle belongs to God, but we still have to act. It can be so easy to just sit back and say, oh, it's okay. Tomorrow, march down against them. You still have to participate in the battle. They didn't pray and sit back. They went out among their enemy into the battle knowing that even though they didn't have to fight it, there was still something for them to do. They had to position themselves and take that leap of faith. Position yourself, stand still, and see what God will do. Verse 17 says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And then, instead of going to get their armor on, everybody worshiped God. It says that they fell down on their knees and they praised him. They stood and they sang. They praised God. Even though they were surrounded by their enemies, they chose joy and kept their eyes on God. And the next morning, that army marched out to battle with worshipers leading the way. The front line of the army was filled with people singing, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes. And those enemy armies turned on each other, and not one of them was left standing. Just as God promised, the battle belonged to him. The people of Judah put their faith in God. They believed in his words and his promises, and they praised even in the midst of their battle. Second Chronicles 20:17 applies to each of us here today. God is fighting your battle on your behalf. He wants you to take up your position. He wants you to stand firm and have faith and keep your eyes on him. Take your position. Go among your enemy. Take your position and have faith and know that you're not alone in this fight. The battle belongs to God, but that doesn't mean there's nothing for you to do. He wants you to take up your position. And then he wants you to praise him for the battle that he's already won. I cannot imagine being on the front line of that army going out and, man, that is faith. That is faith because they could have been totally wiped out. But instead, they went before all of the people with all their armor and everything. They just went out with their instruments, praising and thanking God, believing, truly believing, truly having faith that this battle belonged to the Lord. Psalm 139.5 says, You have surrounded me on every side behind me and before me, and you've placed your hand gently on my shoulder. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You're not alone. He hasn't abandoned you. He wants you to have faith. He wants you to go into battle, praising him and thanking him for what he's already done. He's at work. He has us surrounded. It may look like your circumstances are surrounding you right now, but God's with you. He's surrounding you with his army. So how do we show joy year-round? How do you keep God at the center, no matter your circumstance? How do you fill your circumstance in every season with his presence? In two ways, through praise and through making it personal. When we, when we fill our, I'm sorry, when we enter God's presence with praise, he will enter your circumstances with power. That was too good for me to fumble, hold on. When you enter God's presence with praise, he will enter your circumstances with power. He has to be at the center in everything that we do and everything that we say. He has to be our every day, our every moment. Then he will enter our circumstances with such presence and such power. Go into the battle singing his praises. My husband and I were talking about all the different situations. He's a, he's a good man. He was telling me that at work he struggles with, um, with some, you know, just negativity. Some of you probably are in the same situation. And he said, you know, I've just made the decision. I'm going to go in every day, and I'm going to be positive, and I'm going to be the light. I'm going to show them what that looks like, to be the love and the light of Christ, no matter what's going on. So maybe that's you, maybe at work. Maybe, um, maybe it's with family or with finances or a car that doesn't work. Maybe you've got a lot of things going on, and it really does feel like you're surrounded. Whatever your circumstances are, just praise. Praise knowing that he's in the battle with you. And second, make it personal. You might have been here for Christmas Eve services and seen our adorable children. Um, One of the most powerful moments from the Christmas story is when the angel goes to the shepherds who are out there and says, I bring you good news of great joy that's for all people. Now, our, our angel did a great job delivering the line. I, I mean, it was really pretty phenomenal. But um, such an incredible moment for those shepherds. I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. And I just wanted to talk to you about that for a second because joy has to be personal. The angel said this news is for everybody. It wasn't just for the shepherds. It was for everybody, for us here today, for everybody that has gone before and everybody's going to come after us. It's for all people. And it's good news, but it doesn't become great joy until it becomes personal. Now, if I told you, uh, well, if you came to me, we were having a conversation, you came up, you said, hey, I just, I just won the lottery. I'd be like, that is such good news. But if I won the lottery, that would be great news, right? Because it's personal. If it's personal, it means something to you. The good news is filled with great joy when it's yours, when it becomes personal. And you have that opportunity to make it personal, to know that the great joy, the good news of great joy of that Savior being born is for you. And if you receive that, the joy is going to be with you all year long, all year long. So don't put your joy away with your Christmas decorations. Joy isn't seasonal. If we're going to keep the joy, we need to move past Christmas to the cross. 
Christmas brings the joy. The cross seals the joy. You can't know Jesus as more than, you have to know Jesus as more than just a holiday Jesus or the baby Jesus in the manger. He has to be your Jesus. It has to be personal. And that joy will last all year long. If you have not made that decision for it to be personal for you, I'd like to give you that opportunity today. So uh, we're going to pray. And if you have never made that decision before, today is your day. Today is your day to make it personal so that when you leave this place, there is nothing that could happen that you can't have joy in that situation. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for all that you have done for us. God, we look to you despite our circumstances. We honor you for what you have done for us, and we thank you for who you are. We find our joy in you and in what you did for us on the cross. We can have that great joy because we know that it's personal. And we stand in our battles today ready and expectant for what you have planned next. We know that the battle is yours and we praise you despite our circumstances. We ask that you would do miracles, that you would continue to go ahead of us. The battle is yours. We give our battles to you. We give our lives to you. Cover each of us today as we head into this week. In Jesus' name, amen.